This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. Rick Nankin is a veteran of several Cape to Rio races. His long association as Phil Gucci's chosen skipper and his fondness for sailing off our eastern Cape shores makes him an ideal subject for this latest edition of Frontierland with me, Dean Allen. Indeed, it was a privilege to learn more about one of South Africa's most celebrated yachtsmen. Enjoy. Rick, what a pleasure it is to, to speak to you today. We've been chatting a, a lot about um, uh, mutual interests and, uh, and life on the high seas. We're actually at the Royal Cape Yacht Club and I don't think of a better place to do this interview. Now, I'm fascinated by the ocean anyway, but you're a man who've, who's been intimately connected with it. You've done at least three, I believe, Cape to Rio races. Yeah, I've done three, yeah. Uh, and you're a skipper on those ships as well. Which on, uh, do we call it a ship or a boat? Uh, yacht. Sorry, yeah, yeah. I beg your pardon. Uh, so, a yacht. Yeah. This yeah, I've only skippered two, and one uh, I sailed with a friend who was the skipper, who's still sailing together with me. Amazing. Yeah. Is it a passion that never leaves you? Yeah, for me, I think most people, uh, no matter how much they do, uh, as they get older, they still have the passion, the interest. It's... Uh, it's an all-encompassing uh, pastime, uh, sport, whatever you want to call it, and it changes from being a sport to a pastime, depending how you approach it. it it's a it's a lifestyle, isn't it? It's something yeah. you've got to commit to. Yeah, and uh, it can be a very active sport, and it can be just a pleasurable pastime, like four by fouring, you know. But it's a, it's, a, it's a pastime. I think you're, you're doing it a disservice because it's an incredibly skilled thing that you do. Not your average person can sail, a, sail any kind of yacht, but to take it across one of the most treacherous stretches of sea in the world, as you've done on several occasions, of course, takes no, not I, only I knowledge it, but guts. It's, it's more like uh, um, the skills to race a yacht well. Um, or to cruise a yacht well, uh, to to do the job well, to run a good ship, um, are just like doing anything else, except you've got the sea that you're involved with, and the sea has to be respected, and that's the big thing. So you have to have respect for the sea and work within its boundaries. Where did you learn this? Where did this passion begin? Uh, when I was young, my father was a good yachtsman and a seaman, and uh, so he respected the sea. He, w he was a Cape Horner, which is a rare thing for people of that age. Uh, the time of sailing ships was almost gone, and he managed to do some sailing ship sailing. And uh, so we grew up like uh, with that in our lives, and joined the yacht club here when we were very young, and got into racing, and uh, really never looked back. At I've never lost the passion. I love it. No. Tell me a little about your father, though, because uh, he was quite an incredible man. He he um, he learnt he learnt uh, about the ocean. He learnt about sailing um, at a time which probably will never come again. Um, it was an interesting ship that he was on as well, wasn't it? Yeah. So uh, my old man was Phil Nankin, Captain Phil Nankin, people called him, and he was a captain. But he, um, when he was 21, he ended up on a sailing ship called the Law Hill. Uh, which is well known in South Africa because it was a prize of war from the Finnish um, during the Second World War and then the South African crew ran it uh, with Swedish officers and Dad ended up as an officer and uh, and that formed his life really 
the knowledge you gain from sailing ships and the ethics and all that that you built around and the respect for the sea and people around sailing ships uh, in the southern ocean what have you so we kind of were brought up in that background and and uh, he loved sailing he's a good sailor he taught us uh, to trim sails really well but he wasn't a racer but he could make boats go fast and kind of that's what I do Um, I am a racer and I'm competitive but I love making boats go fast and it doesn't matter I I sail up and down my lagoon where I where I live, uh, the lake at Sikufle and up and down Amanus Lagoon where we have holidays and I just want to make the boat go as fast as it can, I don't care about racing but you race and that's also fun you know but going, making the boat feel good is uh, we always say you know, it's in your bum, you make it feel good so um, I think it's like anybody who does any sport you know, a good soccer player can stand there and knock the ball up and down in the air and love it it doesn't have to be trying to pass uh, Messi. <laughs> this was something that came early though. You, it was it was something in your blood you didn't you weren't aware of that you had the innate ability to make that that dinghy that you go fast and that you were people recognize that in you as a youngster. Yeah, somehow um, the yachting's about coordination, coordinating a whole lot of forces and and then sailing around a course is a lot of um, seeing space understanding a bit about weather and um, being a little bit logical so you find that guys who are engineers and uh, computer buffs and um, programmers and people like that have a an automatic sense of the next logical move and so that's kind of how we I fitted in it, uh, it all seemed logical to me which way to go uh, when the wind shifted or yeah and then making the boat go fast has always been my uh, favorite thing so and the, yeah so that's the, the boats that come out to start and edge forward it's those guys and there are lots of them around they can just make a difference there was that lovely story of you um, competing at a young age and uh, you were advised to go away and uh, perhaps come back with a, a better boat next year and that's when you blew the opposition out of the water as it were forgive the pun <laughs> Well and then you, di- you didn't look back. Yeah, I mean, I got started properly in racing because um, I was just dabbling as a young 14, 15-year-old. And um, a teacher of mine, Mr. Hoare, he said, uh, I've got a dab chick you can use at the inter-schools. There were 90 boats racing. And, um, and we had a team of three in each school. And uh, off I went to Sikufle and jumped on this boat I'd never sat on before. But somehow it went fast and I didn't do very well because it broke something but I went fast and at the prize giving some guy member of the art club I still know him he came to me and he said look I watched you sailing you were very fast Uh, do me a favor if you're interested in pushing this sport for yourself um, go and buy a set of plans for a dab chick and build one come back next year and win well fortunately I was able to do that I I went off and bought a set of plans from Jack and Marguerite Cope in Pinelands, built the boat. They sold me a set of sails with the plans. That was 25 rands for the plans and sails together. And the boat cost 58 rands altogether. And uh, then I went and raced. And I met all my friends racing and learned how to race uh, from them. I had a, a feeling how to go fast. 
so I could do well straight away but I didn't know how to race and I had to learn from these young guys I'd met at Seekerflay and I carried on learning all my life I'm still learning I think that's yeah. the, the trick for any any sort of skill or profession. We're always learning, aren't we? But then you managed to turn this into a profession. We were talking earlier about you becoming an engineer. You were very, very sort of mathematical and, and scientific, and you like to work out how things could work better. Mm. How did you come into sort of sailing as a profession, and how did you then blend your passion with this more serious side and become competitive? So uh, I was a competitive sailor, doing quite well um, in our dinghy racing, but I kind of not pushed the keelboat thing too much because I got seasick. So um, Really? You were seasick? Yeah, I've been seasick all my life. Oh my goodness. And, uh, but it only happens when the big seas and uh, on big boats offshore sort of thing, or going around to Clifton, everybody's having a party and I'd be feeling seasick. <laughs> but um, uh, So I raced in Table Bay as a youngster and... and uh, then Sikuflay and the dinghies, I, I loved it because I had no chance of getting seasick almost. But um, And then we pushed the level of our sailing better and better, the local Cape Townians. Um, quite a lot of talent in the group and uh, started with dab chicks, went in two other boats, ended up in a class that we decided as a group that was the right class for us to go into. It was called the Fireball and because it wasn't an Olympic class, um, we weren't affected uh, sailing out of apartheid South Africa. We weren't affected by the, uh, the so-called blacklist too much in the early days. So we got to sail world championships overseas. And that was um, the starting point. And uh, one day uh, the guys um, who were busy creating the South African Cape Tonian um, uh, marine industry, yachting industry, came to me and said, uh, you know, we believe you're going with the IT business to Joburg, uh, and I'd been 10, 8 years in the IT business, and I um, said, yeah, that's the place to go if you're in the IT business, and uh, they uh, said, well, we want you to think about another proposition, and uh, what they put to me was to come into the marine industry, specifically in sail making, where there was a company where I could invest in. So I did that and uh, changed my path and worked with friends and we're still together. 43 years later, we're still working together, same guys. So uh, it's been a good life and uh, we've worked hard. We're still working hard <laughs> in our 70s. <laughs> um, and uh, it's been fun uh, and we've managed to fit in a bit of sailing in between and uh, uh, we b build beautiful sails and they, we send them all over the world. Yeah. I think you're being modest, you fit in a bit of sailing. I mean, you're one of one of South Africa's uh, foremost um, sailors, uh, can I say, and you've been very successful. Um, the fact that you were perhaps born in, a, in, in the wrong age, you would have competed at the Olympics, I'm sure. Um, but there's an Eastern Cape connection to this story as well. A lot of our listeners are based in the Eastern Cape, and you got to know a, a gentleman called Mr. Phil Gucci, who is a passionate sailor. Um, and tell me about that relationship, because you were going to do a very mm. special race together. Yeah, so... Um Phil, uh, I'd, I'd done the 93 Rio race, and Phil Gucci had also done the 93 Rio race. That's He's Cape Town to Rio, for anyone That's right. Listening. Cape Town to Rio, two beautiful cities connected by that race. And um, Phil had raced his Baltic 42-footer, 
uh, called Witch Doctor with a bunch of friends from Algoba Yacht Club and uh, they did quite well and he liked it and he looked at this whole thing and said next year I must come back with a competitive boat and win this race. So um, I'd been on the boat that had broken the record. And, uh, the record being? Uh, the record then uh, had been about 18 days or something. We did it in 14, I think. That's awesome. And um, boat called Broomstick, and I'd been on board that. Uh, I was uh, number one on that with uh, a friend of mine, Hannah Tutterberg, who was a skipper. And uh, Phil and I started sailing together because he asked me to uh, come and be the skipper of Warrior. Uh, which was his new boat that he built, Simona's design, built in Cape Town by the well-known Yard, Robertson and Kane, who built all the catamarans. And uh, we then chose a crew, about half of who were from PE originally, or living in PE, or youngsters who were all over the world, but from PE. And uh, and we had a wonderful race, and it was the start of a, of a great uh, partnership that Phil and I have had in sailing. And uh, we've sailed together now ever since then. We're still sailing together. We race hard. We have great people sailing with us. And uh, we love every moment of it. And I've been most fortunate because, uh, you know, these things don't come every day where you can uh, be part of a team like that. With, and Phil has been the, the ingredient every sailing team needs. He's brought the enthusiasm, the boat, and everything that goes with it. So, and he races with us. And which is classic, you know, that he's he's now uh, into his 80s, but still racing hard, and uh, you know that's just great. We our team uh, starts with a 19-year-old on the bow, and uh, goes back to full over 80 uh, at the back of the boat, and uh, I'm in between somewhere, and a lot of guys of all ages in between, but uh, every single person there uh, is sailing with great uh, respect and they love to sail for Phil. When Phil's not on the boat, we don't think the boat goes as well. And he doesn't helm it all the time, he helms some of the time. And uh, we, we have a code where he knows when he should hand the helm to me because maybe I'll get it going a little bit quicker sometimes. So that's, and we've worked like that all the years. A lot of the guys who sail with us have sailed with us over the years. 20, 25 years, and uh, it's just a great, great team. And you mentioned the word team, and Phil, of course, is a great leader in business, been very successful in his in his professional career. But what makes a good team on a on a yacht, a racing yacht, where you all have to pull pull your weight, as it were? So it's pretty much like a business or a family or anything else. It's team related. Um, you have to have specialists. And you have to have people who can work together in a, with synergy and uh, and respect and make things work together. Uh, a couple of um, heroes on their own don't win yacht races consistently. So you can get multi-talented people coming in as a as a sort of one one-time runner on your boat, and uh, and you might win a race, but. Um, he can't win consistently without the backup of a good team. And it's no different to the rugby, cricket, soccer, all of them, and business. Um, and uh, Phil's been our leader for this time. Uh, and through that, he's the head of the pyramid. 
and through that we we have a whole um, structure which works on the boat and uh, and we're always looking for talent and good people who work well together and work hard and uh, yeah, over the years the people have changed but they all come back and uh, I don't know anybody who sailed with us in the last 28 years that we've been doing this that doesn't come back at the drop of a hat you know because uh, they love sailing with with us and um, yeah that starts uh, with Phil's leadership you know but you say it about Phil being the leader but there's a saying that can only be one skipper on a boat and you're the skipper yeah so when we're racing I'm the skipper uh, but the way things work in the world is that um, the person who pays is also in control so what we do is we we dual skippers we co-skippers and uh, his um, leadership goes a long way to helping us do things well even though I might have more experience at racing yachts than him uh, we have uh, he's our leader and uh, brings a lot of great stuff to those 15 people on board that they grow to be better sportsmen and better sailors and uh, so that's helped us a lot in the consistency that we've put on for all this time and and knowing who to choose who will work well together he's very good at that and uh, and uh, we've worked on that aspect of it uh, finding people who do the jobs well and uh, they don't really almost need Phil and me um, to make the boat sail well and uh, we added icing on top of the icing, you know, the little sprinkles on top of the icing and we make it go even better, but um, they must be able to race that boat 99.9% as well as we can and uh, then you've got a proper team. So that's the way we've always structured it and we have a little saying because we like to have fun and uh, winning isn't the only thing. Uh, sorry, let me start over. Um, winning isn't everything and then Phil goes quiet looks at everybody and he says it's the only thing <laughs> it's the only thing indeed it is yeah yeah um, I can I can understand that someone who's made a great investment but someone who's so passionate about it as well yeah. but I just want to wrap up because I'm sure everybody listening will want that story of that big storm or that big challenge and we were talking earlier about an, a, a, an incident or a, an episode that happened down in the uh, down under between Sydney and Hobart that famous uh, Sydney to Tasmania race mm. where you almost went under didn't you what happened that, that that particular time back in 2004 I believe yeah, yeah so I did the Sydney Hobart in 2004 with a with a uh, very nice boat uh, owned by a German ship owner who who, who um, his shipping line uh, comes to South Africa back and forth very well-known company and very well-known sailing family um, and uh, I was asked to come uh, to, to make the sales and uh, come and do the race with him. So did that and uh, the boat was brand new, built in New Zealand, beautiful boat and uh, developed a leak and uh, we were in the middle of the Sydney Hobart we, two days in and we were pretty full of water and we were you know, going into 60 knots of breeze, huge seas in Bass Strait, uh, you're out to the east of Bass Strait really but um, You've got this massive southerly you're going into, and uh, we couldn't get rid of the water fast enough, so we turned around, 
um, and uh, sailed back for three or four hours trying to get rid of the water and and um, and bailing with buckets until we were dry and then we had to make a, a vote who would go on if we would go on and it was decided to go clean the boat up on the Australian side there's a little town called Eden right on the southern tip of Australia where we went and reassessed the, the thing and when we got there there were 96 of the 110 boats that were in the race had sheltered in in uh, in the in the little harbour, it's a bay with a with a little harbour, fishing warps and uh, wharves and whatever, and uh, we decided not to continue, and uh, but it was a hell of experience. Yeah. But you uh, you were sick at the time. Yeah, you, no, you, I did they, get sick. Yeah. They, didn't they tether you to the wheel because <laughs> they were trying to bail water out? Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I went down with uh, bad seasickness. And it turned out I'd had a, a kidney uh, problem, and uh, and then um, I was down below for probably half a day. Uh, didn't call, get called on watch. I was out. I was feverish, and uh, I was finished. So, um, but when they turned around and had to bail, they needed every hand. So they called me on deck, and I I was weak. So they tied me. <laughs> Uh, behind the wheel and uh, I steered and it was actually quite fun uh, no sails doing 13, 14 knots downwind with no sails, just the mast pushing the boat, 16 knots of breeze breaking over your shoulders and over the back of the boat nice warm water and uh, and then eventually we sorted the problem out Put the sails back up and sailed into Eden. Yeah. Amazing Human resilience. Experience. Amazing resilience. So what's next? What's the next big uh, voyage, should we say? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've never been a, a massive uh, offshore sailor, although I love it, and I've done a lot of offshore sailing, but I've, I've always suffered from seasickness. So I've never, I'll never be the guy who will do the Whitbread or the Volvo race or the single-handed round-the-world race. I'm more inshore racing, but I love the offshore, and I do as much as I can. And um, so with Phil, we we like we love to race his boat. He's got a racing boat in Cape Town, Wind Part Two, which we race frequently. Uh, and then uh, we do the odd offshore and uh, around Cape Town, and we we just enjoy racing together. Try to do as well as we can, and. Uh, I'm not sure what the next race, apart from local, will be with Phil and myself. But whatever we're going to do, we're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to try and win it because that's in our blood, <laughs> it's in our DNA. <laughs> so, so it should be as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Rick, and uh, long may you continue hitting the ocean waves. Thank you. Oh, cool. Thanks. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za.